Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Welcome back. This is day eight of the commentary series on the interior castle, and today we are looking at the second chapter of the fourth mansions of this magnus opus of St. Teresa of Avila. I'm Father Timothy Reed, and I am a secular Carmelite and the spiritual assistant to the community of secular Carmelites in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a great joy to be with you. Last time, we talked about spiritual or divine consolations. And in this chapter, we'll continue discussing them and how we ought to prepare ourselves to receive them without actually endeavoring to obtain them. Now remember that spiritual or divine consolations begin in God, but our human nature feels and enjoys them as much and even more than it does sweetness in prayer. So these divine consolations expand or, or dilate the heart. Sweetness in prayer or sensible devotion, on the other hand, refers to those experiences we ourselves acquire through our own meditation and petitions to the Lord those that proceed from our own nature, although God in the end does have a hand in them. Now, sweetness in prayer is often experienced in the third mansions because these things are the result of our own prayerful efforts and they constrain the heart just a little bit. Now, with that said, let's get going. Teresa begins this chapter by explaining her concern for this task of writing she's undertaken. So, poor Teresa is burdened by by poor health. She's preoccupied by business matters, and to make things even worse, her memory is bad. And it's really quite amazing that she accomplished this book at all. She recalls that she was discussing the nature of consolations in the spiritual life, noting how feelings of devotion can often be accompanied by physical phenomena like nosebleeds and sobbing. Now, as she's never experienced these particular things, she can't really speak to them except to say, that they must be consoling since they end in the desire to please God and enjoy his presence. Now, Teresa contrasts this with what she calls divine consolations, which she has elsewhere referred to as the prayer of quiet, and which is the first form of mystical prayer, a sort of passive contemplative prayer initiated by God. Now here, St. Teresa uses her famous analogy of the two fountains with basins that are filled by different means. With the first basin, the water comes from a distance through many pipes and waterworks, as she says, while the other basin is built near the source of the spring itself and fills quite noiselessly. If the fountain is plentiful, like the one we speak of, after the basin is full, the water overflows in a great stream, which flows continually. No machinery is needed here, nor does the water run through aqueducts. Now, Teresa writes in paragraph four, such is the difference between the two kinds of prayer. The water running through the aqueducts resembles sensible devotion, 
which is obtained by meditation. So again, we gain it by our thoughts, by meditating on created things and by the labor of our minds. In short, it's, it's the result of our endeavors and so makes the commotion that St. Teresa has spoken of, but it profits the soul. And so this prayer, the prayer running through the aqueducts, represents the necessary asceticism of the first three mansions. The water of the other basin, symbolizing spiritual delights or divine consolation, comes from its own source, God himself. Teresa says that as usual, when His Majesty wills to bestow on us any supernatural favors, we experience the greatest calm, peace, and sweetness in the inmost depth of our being. I know neither where nor how. And she states that this joy is not like earthly happiness at once felt by the heart. After gradually filling it to the brim, the delight overflows throughout all the mansions and faculties until at last it reaches the body. Therefore I say it arises from God and ends in ourselves. For whoever experiences it will find that the whole physical part of our nature shares in this delight and sweetness. St. Teresa then returns to a discussion of Psalm 118, verse 32. Thou hast dilated my heart. Now, earlier she had mentioned that spiritual consolations expand and dilate the heart. And while this is true, St. Teresa believes this experience arises from the very center of one's soul. She writes, To return to the verse I quoted, which may help to explain the dilation begun by the celestial waters in the depths of our being. They appear to dilate and enlarge us internally and benefit us in an inexplicable manner. Nor does even the soul itself understand what it receives. It is conscious of what may be described as a certain fragrance, as if within its inmost depths were a brazier sprinkled with sweet perfumes. Although the spirit neither sees the flame nor knows where it is, yet it is penetrated by the warmth and scented fumes, which are even sometimes perceived by the body. Understand me, the soul does not feel any real heat or scent, but something far more subtle, which I use this metaphor to explain. So Teresa is struggling here to describe and analyze spiritual consolations. She's struggling to describe the dilation that occurs. Then, of course, she's dealing with an ineffable blessing, something that cannot be fully explained or understood by the finitude of the human mind. What we know from St. Teresa is that the experience happens deep within us, in the center of the soul. It's an experience like a deep spring of water swelling and expanding our entire interior being such that both body and soul experience delightful effects. Moreover, a spiritual delight such as this cannot be imagined or acquired by one's own efforts. So she writes, Let those who have never experienced it believe that it really occurs to others. The soul is conscious of it, and fills it more distinctly than can be expressed. It is not a thing we can fancy or gain by anything we can do. Clearly, it does not arise from the base coin of human nature, 
but from the most pure gold of divine wisdom. I believe that in this case, the powers of the soul are not united to God, but are absorbed and astounded at the marvel before them. Now, ultimately, this spiritual delight is the love of God penetrating one's soul, introducing the soul to the mystical life it will continue to enjoy if it continues persevering in prayer and moving through the interior castle. Now, this is a good thing for us to consider as we struggle uh, through the first three mansions of our own interior castle. If we can keep our eyes, at least in part, on, on the joys that await, it can be a good inspiration for us to keep moving. But also keep in mind, for us to experience consolations, our will must be united to God's will. And when we experience it, its effects within us show us the true value of prayer. So it's good for us to desire this particular prayer and to understand how we can obtain such a favor. Now, in explaining how we obtain the prayer of quiet, St. Teresa insists that humility is the key. She writes in paragraph 8, Practice what I advised in the preceding mansions then. Humility, humility, for God lets himself be vanquished by this and grants us all we ask. Now, let's stop there for just a moment and ponder that thought. God lets himself be vanquished by humility and grants us all we ask. Have you ever considered the power of humility? and how absolutely vital it is that we cultivate this virtue. Now, sadly, humility is really underrated these days. In our world in which we are so quick to think first of ourselves, we fail to recognize the greatness of God and the fact that we are merely creatures who rely upon him for everything. The prophet Zephaniah tells us that it is humility that shelters us from the Lord's anger. It is through humility that we can take refuge in the name of the Lord and are protected from all disturbance. And in his first letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul is even more insistent upon the necessity of humility, proclaiming the lowly, weak, and foolish of this world to be God's elect. He teaches us that it is the humble souls who will shame those who are wise and strong by the worldly standards. I mean, St. Paul makes it clear, we cannot boast of ourselves. If we can boast of anything, we can only boast in the Lord, for all that we have comes from God. And if we make it to heaven, we shall see that we did not get there by our own efforts, but only by God's grace. Now, one little thought here. Becoming humble is not a matter of thinking less of yourself. It's a matter of thinking less about yourself. It's a matter of thinking first about God because He is who is. It's a matter of loving and serving Him above all else and holding others in higher esteem than yourself. And the net effect of striving for humility, my friends, is that a purification takes place in our souls, a a purification of our wills, of our intentions, and of our love for God and for others. And this purification, this is what prepares us for heavenly glory. 
Consciously cultivating humility rightly orders our lives to God and to others. And over time, we're not only purified, but we are perfected such that we can be united with God for all eternity in heaven. We are purified such that God cannot resist us. Now, St. Teresa tells us in this chapter that the first proof that you possess humility is that you neither think you deserve these graces and consolations from God, nor that you you ever will as long as you live. What she's telling us is that if you want to obtain these sublime favors of spiritual consolations, you must not seek them. You mustn't go after them. She writes, you ask me, how shall we receive them if we do not try to gain them? I answer that there is no surer way to obtain them than the one I have told you, humility. Therefore, make no efforts to acquire them for the following reasons. And then she gives us five reasons for for not seeking these sublime favors. What are they? Well, Teresa tells us the first is that the chief means of obtaining them is to love God without self-interest. The second, that it is a slight lack of humility to think that our wretched services can win so great a reward. The third, that the real preparation for them is to desire to suffer and imitate our Lord rather than to receive consolations, for indeed we have all offended him. The fourth reason is that his majesty has not promised to give us these favors in the same way as he has bound himself to bestow eternal glory on us if we keep his commandments. We can be saved without these special graces. He sees better than we do what is best for us, and which of us love him sincerely. Fifthly, we should but labor in vain. This water does not flow through aqueducts like that we first spoke of. And if the spring does not afford it, in vain shall we toil to obtain it. I mean that though we may meditate and try our hardest, and though we shed tears to gain it, we cannot make this water flow. God alone gives it to whom he chooses, and often when the soul is least thinking of it. So, my friends, if we want to obtain to the prayer of quiet, in addition to cultivating humility, we must love God without any self-interest, realizing that a lack of humility is revealed as if we think we can get something for so great for our miserable service. We also have to be prepared by having a desire to suffer and imitate the Lord rather than have any spiritual consolations. We must remember that these consolations are not necessary for our salvation, and we have to trust that God knows what's best for us, and he also knows which ones of us truly love him. Lastly, we must remember that we cannot produce these effects by our own efforts. God alone gives it to whom he chooses. St. Teresa concludes that since we belong to God, we should let him do whatever he wants with us, whatever is pleasing to him. We should be completely resigned to his will. However, she is of the opinion that if one truly humbles himself and is truly detached, they will receive spiritual delights from our Lord and many other favors in addition. And that concludes our podcast today. Next time, 
Our discussion will continue with the fourth mansions. And with that in mind, let's pray together St. Teresa's Prayer. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Amen. May God bless you and may St. Teresa intercede for you. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the interior castle and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.